1: Welcome to episode 68 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Recently, I had the pleasure of getting a very nice email and request for an interview from Andrew, who has a radio show called Emo Rock, Emo Talk on 919 KSDB, the college station of Kansas State University. Andrew really knew his history, and I was honored to share the airways with his selections of tunes and an interview that he also did with Modern Baseball. Uh, Andrew was kind enough to record this recent airing of Emo Rock, Emo Talk for you to hear as well. So we discussed DIY culture, college radio, being positive, and what else? Emo music. As a reminder, I'm always available to chat about music at Washed Up Emo on Twitter, admin at washedupemo.com for email, or shoot me a note on the Facebook page. And Be sure to follow Andrew's show as well. Once again, this is episode 68 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast.
0: Emo Rock Emo Talk, right here on 919 KSDB, of course, the radio station of Kansas State University. My name is Andrew, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Emo Rock919. And coming up next is something incredibly special I got to do this weekend. I actually got to interview a uh, famous blogger/slash podcaster who is all about emo music. Tom Mullen got his roots in college radio, and he also caught the fever for emo. And almost 20 years later, this guy is still a huge lover of the genre, promotes everything it's about, and I just love the content the person produces because he's really positive about everything. And not only that, but he encourages people to do what I try to encourage people to do too, and that is to delve deeper into emo music than what the mid-2000s would lead you to believe. So next up, you're going to hear me speak with Tom, and we talked about emo music, positivity, DIY, college radio, you name it. It's just fantastic. So, here's my interview with Tom Mullen. Definitely consider you somewhat of an inspiration just because someone who's so active just as a promoter and endorser of and a lover of music. I take a lot of inspiration from that personally. And you know, I remember reading a reading a blog post from you once just um, how college radio helped spur your interest in emo music. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Well, how did how did you get involved with your college's radio station?
1: It started before I was in college, I used to make uh, fake radio shows with a tape cassette player, which sounds completely archaic now. Um, could do that in five seconds with GarageBand, but I would record songs off the radio and make my own breaks. And so I kind of knew I, I had a little, um, I had a pirate radio station in high school, so I could play music uh, from my house and certain friends could hear it. Um, so I was kind of had the knack. And when I got to college, the first week, you know, they have those Orientations and all the events, sort of uh, they hey, you want to join this or that? They had the college one, and I quickly realized that uh, these these were my people, uh, and um, I ended up making friends with a lot of them. And the emo part of it was interesting, and I've told this story on the on the podcast a couple times. But I walk into the music director's office, which is the guy that you know gets all the music from all the labels and decides what goes on the air, and he had this bin. And he said, oh, I'm so glad you're, you know, want to be involved in the station. Uh, there's, a, there's a giveaway bin over there. Why don't you, uh, you know, pick something out of there? Pick, you know, take whatever you want. In that box was the start of my emo collection. Uh, it had static prevails on vinyl with the 7-inch uh, um, that was attached to the first pressing or one of the first pressings. Uh, it had mineral. It had all this deep elm stuff in there. And so I kind of looked back at him and said, are you sure all of this is giveaway? He's like, yeah, yeah, all of it. I was like, okay. So I must have taken about 20, 25 things, and uh, that was my start.
0: What an absolute gem! When you consider a copy of Static Prevails, <laughs> now you know I've I've seen them run as high as forty or fifty bucks just for just for a pressing. But uh, that's that's incredible, and it's interesting. I don't know if CMJ existed back when you were in school. Yes, it did. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 No, actually, there was a thing before it called Gavin. Gavin was actually another reporting service that a lot of the bigger stations uh, did, so I was heavily involved in in, in CMJ uh, our station charted every week. Uh, I was a big proponent of that. We used to not get a lot of records and music, and I started you know reaching out to labels and explaining to them what we were what we were doing and no offense to the people before I was sort of help running but they weren't as Uh, diverse a music fan. They might have been really a big fan about one genre or one theme, but they weren't really big into understanding a lot of them. Like I knew the techno labels, I knew the Britpop or the indie rock labels, I knew the punk and hardcore. And so I was, and I had staff that knew the other ones and we were able to really expand our collection. And with that, we would get asked to come up You know, the CMJ for if it was, you know, to meet all these labels or we started to the music director and I became really good friends and we would and a couple other people on the staff, we would go up. I think we went up two years out of the four. I'm not remembering, but that was a huge proponent to to get up there in New York and meet these people face to face uh, because we wanted to be involved.
0: Well, you know, out here in Kansas, whenever whenever we see like October pop up, you know, uh this last year I was my mouth was absolutely watering. Looking at the top shelf records showcase, the run for cover showcase. And, it, you know, it's 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 kind of hard making that trip to New York City all the way from Kansas. So we haven't got to go there or anything like that yet. But it's just been such a blast being involved with college radio because, you know, looking at our stack of records right now, here we have the new modern baseball. We have the new teen suicide and uh all sorts of cool stuff like that. And it sounds like college radio was maybe really influential on you, but how did it change the direction of your career path?
1: I mean, it was how I met everybody. Uh, it was why I have a job. Uh, the, I mean, I, there was a couple other things. One, I was doing things outside of my schoolwork. There was, I was a broadcast communications major, which probably doesn't mean anything now, but I was uh, learning about radio and TV and publishing and writing and, you know, being in the you know being in the broadcast fields, and I knew that that was close enough to the music industry, uh, where as long as I got internships and I was meeting these people, at some point I could call on them, and I've always sort of had that where I keep in touch with people. There's people that have called me from the college radio station that I still talk to every day or every month, um, and so back to your sort of you know specific question, it was. Uh, My my career started in college. I was going to shows. I was meeting bands. I was being able to get out there and be visible among the scene. And so when I did graduate, I had three job offers uh, and or at least uh, excuse me, I had three job interviews and then getting subsequently three job offers. And I was able to pick one and I moved to New York pretty much two weeks after I graduated.
0: What's your advice to someone, you know, I'm, I'm in the broadcast business as well. And, uh, you know, how, how do you make that switch or what are some good internships that people can look for that would really put them in the path to maybe be involved with music in the music industry?
1: Uh, I would think past major labels. A lot of times that's a lot of people's first thought. Um, that's where you're going to learn the most. Not necessarily. I actually went to I'm at a major label now, but I spent many years at smaller labels. Um, so I would look at management companies. Booking agencies, um, uh, your friends, label smaller labels where you're able to see and learn everything, and also have a specific idea of what you want to do. Um, you might not think you might think I just want to sign bands. Well, you're going to have to learn a few more things, and I would suggest marketing. Um, I would suggest um, obviously digital, but that encompasses everything now. So the idea would be. Be as, be as versed in the industry as much as you can. And whenever that opportunity comes and whatever department it's in, that's not going to be your last job. If you're an assistant for a radio guy, that's not your last job. That's your first, and that's your chance to network. That's your chance to get out there and be out every night. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, I really was – I was out – I mean, in college I was out three nights a week and when I moved to New York and I was at a label, I mean, it was at least two to three nights a week and weekends, out at shows, out at events, seeing people, connecting. And from then, that's how you're going to get a job. It's not going to be from um, – a lot of times it's not based on your work. It's the who you know. And it's for music, that's definitely it.
0: Well, and even broadcasting as a whole, you know, that, that really seems to be the case after, you know, going through three and a half years of this. that That definitely seems – more accurate than not but how do you deal maybe with a you know you started washed up emo in what 2007 yeah how do you deal with people who sort of look down their nose at emo music especially in the grand scheme of indie music you know it's interesting to uh see reviews and big big publications about records out of our genre they get a really nice review but then they kind of have, have that addendum at the end like well it was a great record for an emo record how do you kind of deal with that elitist mentality that appears at times
1: Uh, It's been insanely frustrating and why I started the site. Well, two reasons. One, because of that, I wanted people to remember this music as important. And as as part of the independent punk scene, it is different and it is important. The other issue was the mid-2000s and the profiting and the sort of commercialism of it went on its head. And that was entirely frustrating. So I'm I'm probably more frustrated with that than the press outlets. I mean, with the Emo Revival... I started seeing it, you know, oh nine, especially started feeling more people talking about it. Like, where were all these people two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, they weren't writing about it and now they are. And there's two, I think one is that the people that were my age are in positions now to write. And so they remember the nineties. And so now they're writing about the bands of the 2010s that sound like the nineties, or at least there's a, there's a more of a correlation. So maybe that's it because someone's hired and they're writing about it. That's one thing. But back to your question about why are they dig, doing a dig on it, I just think it's the easy way out for someone to make themselves still look cool by making fun of it, and it's sort of accepted. I think my whole life, or at least the last nine years of plus of this, is remember the bands, remember for what it is, and hopefully there's someone that gets into the scene today that understands the entire history, not just the 2010s, not just the nineties, not just the mid two thousands, but everything and understand it as a whole. And I don't know if they ever will, but I think, you know, there'll always be some crappy BuzzFeed article out and that's just gonna always be the case. The name and the word is associated with something that got really, really popular and I think we're forever gonna be fighting that in press and also the public's eye.
0: Well, and Tom, it seems like you do a great job of being a documentarian of what the scene actually is and not what some people make it out to be, just because, of course, uh, as listeners may not know, you run Washed Up Emo, which is a podcast and a blog, and then you run is this band Emo.com, which it's a really fun search engine, and if you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out, because not only will it give you a few chuckles, it'll give you – a. Some good insight onto some of the bands within the scene. Maybe adding on top of that, how do you deal with internet trolls? Because it seems like you have a lot of fun with what you do, and you definitely should, because I enjoy a lot of your media. But I heard a portion of your interview with Eric from Dowsing, and I agree that certain communities such as Reddit can come across as really hyper-elitist and pretentious. And do you think that's maybe detrimental to the scene as well?
1: Yes, and there's a lot of message boards. Excuse me, God, I'm sounding dated again. Um, there's There's a lot of Facebook groups that are also not inviting. And at times I've been accused of it. I feel like I've been it from the get go. So I'm able to sort of have a little more leeway. But if someone doesn't say something right, or someone doesn't present something a certain way, or you forget a comma, there's just this instant, you know, if you if you make fun of brand new, you know, you're going to be raked over the coals by their fans, just like Bieber and not to that same degree. But there's I, I some I I don't know I'm not like I'm anti-establishment but I I just try to look at it from a different way and um, I think you know when I make fun of a mid two thousands band or I let people know about something that I feel and there's there's this backlash it's interesting to see where people have started listening or where people have their their reference and it's actually interesting to see where people sort of come from and what they're thinking about. It's something that I deal with every day. Um, I always worry when I post something like there was a, there was a, a sheet of tickets that I posted of, I I saved every show I've ever gone to that, that actually had a ticket. A lot of shows are just, you know, you get your X on your hand and then you walk in, but every show I've had a ticket I've actually saved. And there was this one sheet that I posted and I think it had a Vanilla Ice ticket on it, but it was like not his heyday. It was like his metal phase. And if you've ever, if you don't know his Vanilla Ice's metal phase, it's worth a couple YouTube searches. So a friend and I thought it'd be really hilarious to go. And we went, we actually got an ID from him, like a radio ID. I got to get a photo with him, um, which I actually just found the photo the other day. And it was funny. And so that sheet was on there with all these other like really cool shows. And all anyone did was just talk shit on that, or there was an insane clown posse ticket too, which was work related. Like I had a work show there with an opening band, so it's just like they didn't understand the whole concept, and they just you know sat there and trolled. And I guess if you're putting yourself out there, you're gonna have to deal with it.
0: <laughs> well, it's just it's just fascinating to see. You know, there's we we live in a time and place where I feel like there's just so much like hate and vitriol. On the internet, and it, it's it's weird to see someone who's so positive in so many different ways just get torn to shreds. Like, uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, you posted a picture of uh, Kyle Fiesel from Real Friends was sporting a make emo great again shirt, and you know, I think I think that's cool just because it shows you know something's had some sort of an impact on him, and people only wanted to comment. Real Friends sucks.
1: Yeah, I was actually really surprised. I thought, and I'm, I'm glad you remembered that one because that was also in my head. I was trying to remember what the, the other one was. That was crazy. I was like, look at this guy. He actually bought this T-shirt. I didn't even send it to him. He bought it, wore it in like a promo thing, and you know was excited. And I remember tweeting at him and be or DMing him and being like, hey, like that was really cool. Like, thank you so much. And he's like, oh no, I love what you guys are doing. And you know, blah blah blah. And then for me to post it, I thought it was just gonna be like, oh man, that's so cool. They're wearing Tom's shirt, and it was everyone hates them. I had no idea. Like that's when I feel like I'm like stuck in an office too long when i realize everyone hates real friends but is that just i mean absolute punk was the same way when i worked at equal vision we would post about a band and there would be these same 10 people would just be like "Won't well, they just put out bane records those guys uh, <laughs> that's all the posts used to be on absolute punk and so you would feel you would read that versus thinking how many people looked at that never commented and was cool and moved on. But for some reason, because someone leaves a comment, that's what you think it is. So I was really frustrated. I bet there's a lot of people that looked at that Real Friends thing and was cool. But for but for some reason, if you looked at it, you get this perception that it's negative because all these people are, you know, talking crap on it.
0: I grew up, like, in the pop-punk generation, like when the Wonder Years and Man Overboard and bands like that were getting huge. And so I'm a little bit farther removed from that. But when you think about all the toxic things maybe going on in the scene right now between like the front porch steps of the world. Real friends, like, they're just such a positive force because they're such nice people and uh you know, I was I was just a little bit taken aback just because I mean I've seen real friends a few times and they just come across as genuinely nice people, regardless of what you think about their music.
1: Yeah, that was that was very interesting. And I, I was I was definitely so I looked at the demographics of the Facebook page and I realized that the majority of the fans are, um, oh, I hope I don't mess this up, but it was mid-20s. A lot of people were mid-20s. And so that says to me, based on everything else happening now, is that is their heyday was mid-2000s. And maybe their perception, and this, is, this isn't everybody, this was, a, this was a, the majority of the fans. Male, I think 25 to 34, or 24 to 34, whatever it was. And so that was sort of my thing of being like, okay, if I post a Thursday video, everything's fine. If I post something like related to that, brand new, it's fine. American football. Um, I always joke that if all I need to do is post an American football photo, and I get like, I get engagement like no other. And so it's interesting, and I really hope that people that follow on any network. They're cool and open to everything. Yes, I crack jokes about a certain era, but also you have to. it's the hair metal version. It is absolutely the it was the craziest thing I'd ever experienced as a as an independent music fan.
0: Well, and that that hits the nail on the head you know when you when you think about people who kind of gentrify emo music as guys wearing tight pants, neon shirts, and eyeliner, you know that was it.
1: Yeah, that was it. And yes, if you were 16, 15, Whatever, twelve, your older brother brought you to to Warp Tour, and that was it, and that's how you got into the scene, and you've moved on from there. And I can understand if you think, you know, the first Mike Ham or the first Fall Out Boy, first Panic, whatever it is, that's your thing. But to think that that's it, and to think that it starts and ends from that era, is the most frustrating thing I've, I've had to deal with. And There's a lot of DJ nights now, and there's a lot of ones, there's amazing ones that play everything, and there's ones that just play that era, and I think it's a detriment to the word and the scene because it's not as... I think a lot of those bands and those tours were very similar. The same sound, the same type of look, and that happened over time. This isn't the first scene to have that happen. But what was interesting to me was... Back in the day in the 90s or even now, 2010s, there's acoustic bands, playing with punk bands, playing with indie rock bands, and it all is this community. And it's all these labels and these guys you know, sort of figuring it out and, and, and what's the next thing and everything sounds different. And it got so homogenized in the mid-2000s, I couldn't tell the difference between anything. That was the main frustrating thing. So I just hope that there's one person every week or there's one person every time they come to our DJ night understands that something came before and something came after. And there's going to be something next that I'm more excited about. I want to see what kids now listening to The Wonder Years or listening to Pine Grove make in 10 years. That's exciting to think about.
0: Well, and it's interesting when you bring up Pine Grove and you're talking about interesting tours, just because this year has been chock full of like interesting tours. I remember uh, I got to see the Into It Over It tour with The World is a uh, Beautiful Place and Pine Grove and the Sidekicks. And I mean, it was just... An incredibly diverse evening of music, different sounding bands all across the board, but it all just came together so well. And even though, you know, Pine Grove isn't really technically an emo band and neither really are the sidekicks, but both of them just blended so well. And I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes as to what the genre could be and inspired people to maybe check out different things as well.
1: Exactly. And I think this independent punk, independent scene is what that is. These bands aren't huge. These bands deserve our support. And a lot of times someone I think gets bummed out when maybe I support them or maybe I talk about them and they're like, oh, crap, now they're labeled as emo. But emo core was a genre. And there's all these – genre is almost – it is ridiculous. But it's classifying and it's helped someone understand what something is. And I think nowadays when the – if this this supposed genre has a, you know, whatever, 30-year, 40-year – sort of life to it. It has morphed and changed, um, and it's, it's more the independent spirit of these bands uh, that I take something from. I can see something in turnover that I can see connect. I can see something in Pine Grove that connects. You know, I, I t- ended up talking to those guys at South by Southwest, and, you know, they were like punk kids that were just playing, you know, what they wanted, and I think that's that feeling. I don't see that from Black Veil Bride. I see something completely different that does not connect at all.
0: <laughs> well, maybe shifting our focus here, you know, it's when you when you talk about the spirit of punk. I mean, I think punk and emo as a whole, you could you could stretch these boundaries so much more than you used to. And you wouldn't necessarily be wrong, and you wouldn't necessarily be right, and I think it's to the point where maybe there's, there's a growing number of people who really don't care whether, who don't care, you know, it's like the Jawbreaker song, you know, who, what's, who's punk, what's the score, but um, what, what are some of your favorite records that have come out so far this year? I'm, I'm just curious to know.
1: Um, that is a great question, and I'm usually horrible with this answer, so you might have to edit. Um, I always forget what stuff comes out. Um. Man, you might have stumped me. I mean, definitely the Hotelier record, I really like. Dowsing, the record on Asian Man. Man, I'm blanking. (laughs) I'm so bad. And here's the problem, too, is that it's all in iTunes or it's all in Spotify, and you don't have that personal connection to remember. It's not something that, like, I didn't open up the Dowsing record and and, and pour through the the, the pages or, or pull out the vinyl, it's all digital, and so there's this leading connection to a band. Because with a record, you knew when you bought it. You knew when you went to the store. You knew you got it in the mail or mail order. So maybe that's my other frustration. I can't remember because it's not something that I'm able to hold or I didn't put it in the right playlist.
0: Oh, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's especially a little bit frustrating in a year where I feel like this whole last 12 months, especially, you know, I kind of want to include uh, – Harmlessness and some of those other records in there this last 12 months has just been absolutely ridiculous as far as music goes. I think people I know get frustrated with me just because generally if I do tweet about something or Facebook about something, it's going to be music related. Like, hey, check out this band. Unfortunately, no one really cares, but there's just been so much great music. And you make a great point, whereas it's really easy to forget about some of these great releases. If you had to pick one favorite older emo band, what would you pick?
1: Like what's my favorite band from back in the day? Oh, yeah.
0: What's your favorite band from back in the day?
1: Definitely Jimmy Eat World, Um, even though they're around still today. uh, If it's a band that's not around, Mineral, Appleseed Cash, Sunny Day Real Estate, excuse me. Those were really something that I took a lot from. The way they presented their music, the way that they, I mean, they were lumped into it, but they kind of did their own thing. Another great one that I think I love, and I always joke about this, is The Promise Ring. Fantastic band, still doing stuff randomly, but I, I almost love Davey and Dan's other band Maritime more. Because they had more music, it's like super poppy, which I'm I'm totally uh, uh, a sucker for, like a hook, and uh, you know I love what they're doing after, and that's the other part that I love. I love you know Chris Simpson from Mineral does this thing called Zookeeper, which is him solo, and it's beautiful, and so these sort of you know, Jeff Caudill from Game Face has his own solo stuff. I could go on and on. Like, all these guys have this other thing. They're still making music, and that's what I get excited about. I want these guys to be making music for as long as they want to. Um, and that's sort of the other, the other part about the older bands. I, kinda, I love it when they're still
0: going. Well, you know, it's interesting here in Kansas, Matt Pryor and Josh Berwinger, by my standards, they're pretty old now, but they're still kicking. Uh, you know, you walk around Lawrence, those guys are still playing local shows. The anniversary is reuniting. I mean, it's it's interesting to see this, like, energy still buzzing within the community for all of these older bands.
1: Yeah, and I, mean, I could go on and on about sort of the analytics and sort of the why and how, what bands stick around, but it really is. There's this thing of what bands stick around, what bands don't, which ones connect, which ones don't. And for Matt, he's obviously the Get Up Kids had a really good push. They did tours with Weezer. They did lots of things. They had a you know huge Vagrant Across America tour. They got in the faces of a lot of people and a lot of older brothers that passed that down to the younger brother and sister. You know, they, you know, and Matt's done solo stuff. I've actually gotten to work with Matt on uh, solo stuff, and then Josh too. He's never stopped making music. And there were shows I saw in Brooklyn, you know, there's 10 people, but he's still doing it. And the anniversary coming back is fantastic. I'm really, really excited for them to come back and play shows. And that's all you want. You want them to be happy.
0: Talking about Jimmy Eat World, even, you know, I I think there's like a sense of entitlement among fans almost just because I've known, I've noticed with like, you know, Jimmy Eat World saves the day, even brand new to an extent, like some of these younger fans are really frustrated when these bands put out music. That doesn't sound like their old music, but they also don't pay attention to these fact, the fact that like these guys are successful enough musicians, they're artists, they're able to make the music they want well into their later 30s and early 40s, and like, I think that's just absolutely beautiful when you consider like a man who could possibly even be 40 years old like writing what's technically emo music.
1: Yeah, I would actually be really bummed if, you know, my, my, my theory is if, if Jimmy World didn't have the middle happen, there would not be a band anymore. And so if you're expecting to hear Futures and Bleed American or Static again or Clarity, it's not happening. They you can still see the lineage and I've had the pleasure of me you know, talking to a lot of them. I'm an insane fan, they know it and you know met the person that runs their fan site. You should take the ride with an artist and look at these records and yes, you might not like like track 8 on Invented or Maybe you didn't dig Chase This Light, which I think is an amazing record. Still go for the ride with them because you're going to hear a little bit of clarity in one of the songs. You're going to hear a little bit of Futures, um, and, maybe, and maybe they have a, a, another record in them that gets to that point of mass consumption. And if they don't, I'm still happy because they're still around. I hope that people have that thought. Again, you're right. The trolls, they're just going to say, hey, doesn't sound like clarity. Next. I'd be bored as a musician. I was a musician. I'd be bored if I made the same record every time. And not to bust on no effects, but, you know, I I, I can't do that.
0: Kind of how I grew out of my pop punk phase, for instance. You know, you, you can only listen to the same Man Overboard record so many times. And when you realize, you know, these people are maybe 28, 29 years old, singing songs about high school affairs, that that's just hard for me to relate to as a 23-year-old. Granted, you know, even a 22 or 21-year-old, it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to listen to that anymore. So, I mean, I think, I think there's a, such a high ceiling on creativity in our genre that maybe isn't in place other places.
1: Yeah, and the, I think there's a chance for these bands and Man Overboard could come out with something. I mean, Pianos Become the Teeth was, had a different record. Title Fight kind of tried to change this thing a little bit. I think the hotelier has definitely changed over the years. And just to give kind of a crazy example that it's not even emo, is and maybe people know this story, but I mean, Bob Dylan had so many different styles over, over the years. Oh, yeah. He gospel. He played rock. He played um, like almost jam bandy. He did a singer songwriter. I mean, when he went electric, you know, people booed and left. They booed him. Like, think if, I don't know, uh Jimmy World comes out with like a gospel record and everybody just starts booing. But over time, you could see that was him wanting to do what he wants. And now, you know, Dylan's covering Sinatra tunes because that's what he wants to do. And so you should respect, obviously you do, but most people do, but that breadth of his career and everyone's wanting him to just do the acoustic song. And I think that's a detriment to someone as an artist. And I try and look past that. I, I really do
0: maybe turning an eye to the political side of things you know i think emo music tends to be just a little bit progressive on the social side of things and do you think do you think that's a that's a good thing that some of these bands are coming out in favor of these things you know i'm i'm a little taken aback that like bands are willing to come out this strongly but i think it's incredible myself and uh, you know has this always been a thing in emo music or do you think this is something new
1: i hate to get into the political thing so if i screw up and everyone's rolling their eyes i apologize ahead of time but i think there's something different with saying that you're something online versus doing something now that changing your profile awareness, letting people understand how you as a band feel about something fantastic. Maybe that turns somebody else, but I think it's really fleeting. It's as fleeting as a like on Instagram or a heart on Instagram. It, yes. I saw that Andrew liked my photo on washed up emo, but did it go any farther than that? And I think in the political realm, yes there was there was food not bombs or there was all these things in the punk hardcore scene that there was people that did that there was definitely action um related to it um there are bands that have been a part of a lot of amazing things with that. I just think today i just i don't know how 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 much of an impact that's making, and maybe we won't know maybe we won't know until years later but um it just seems there's People can say whatever they want now, and it's sometimes to me fleeting. Isn't it
0: hard um, trying to keep up with what you're supposed to be offended about any certain day? You know.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've 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 definitely said stuff where people write me or like I did the I did the Hillary uh, Bernie meme where you put like Bernie was like you know super down you know with something yeah it was <laughs> of, like the simple thing and I had I had friends people friends I'm really good friends with like be really offended. And I, I was like, I would do it if it was two dudes. I would do it if it was two girls. It's funny. There's always someone that's just a, like the, the, the not the big fan. you know, or They only know the one song. Uh, and that's okay. And so it wasn't like a male-female, but people took it like she's dumb. I'm like, no, she's just, she's a popular kid that didn't get into the punk rock scene and Bernie happened to. That's it. Uh, but people took a really big offense to it. I was I was fascinated, and I tried to, you know, fix it, but it just seemed like I, was, the damage was done. Uh, I had, you know, offended people, but again, they didn't understand the context, and I actually, I mean, I've told this story again before, but Bernie, uh, on, on the podcast, I mean, Bernie, uh, I grew up in Vermont, and so Bernie Sanders was the mayor when I was growing up. Really? and his, Yeah, and his and there's an amazing vice, is it vice? article on Bernie that came out last year, a year and a half ago, Paul Blessed wrote it. And it's it talks about this punk rock club that his wife started, that that's how I started going to shows in Vermont. It's called 242 Main. It's actually been, I, I'm getting this wrong if it's been around as long as Gilman Street or a little bit longer, but it's this teen center that was started and obviously it wasn't always a punk you know it didn't just do punk rock shows but it had a lot of events and things that's where i saw all the shows so i kind of le- to me the bernie thing was funny because i got it because bernie's wife you know in essence started a punk rock club that i started going to shows. so i consider bernie punk rock <laughs> so that was the you know the connection but again i couldn't explain that in a tweet
0: that's incredible jill sanders started the punk rock club
1: Yeah, she had. It was either it wasn't now again. It was a it was a teen center, so I'm sure they had things that were you know if it was uh, you know health things or they had you know after school things for kids. I'm sure they had a ton of stuff. But when I was in the 90s growing up, and if it was the early 90s, I was going there because Madball played there or Civ, or uh, Chamberlain or you know a punk rock band on uh, a label that I was going to that venue. Uh, and it was the, you know, run by the local kids and, and, and the town, or sorry, the, the city, it's not really a town, it's like 40,000 people. Um, but that was the big city. And that was the big deal. And I think there was something to that, that I connected to uh, with Bernie um, about that. And whatever happens with politics, I, I stay out of it as much as I can, but I love the music angle of that, that he was, you know, from there. And he's been speaking that way the entire time that I've, been aware of him around he's always been that you know upset
0: <laughs> did the show he was the guy who showed up and talked about veganism before the mad Ball show was that it yes well there we go we heard it from tom mullen washed up email once again uh, has
1: this... no bearing on anything <laughs> i have no clout <laughs> but I, I guess if there's one thing I, I i can say i think find that basement show find your 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 town and if you are trying to get involved with the scene don't let anybody tell you otherwise however small or whatever show if ten people showed up if five people showed up if you believe in this band that's in your town or you believe a band that's bigger and you want to help them find a way to do that however you do it and you're going to feel really good about yourself inside and we've talked a lot of negativity and there's jokes and and start and satire In the end, I could give two know what about what anyone thinks when I'm putting out this idea and these ideas, and I hope people take something from Watch Jeff Podcast or the site, or they learn about a new band, and they go on and do that after, and they think about those things, because that's what I learned from if it was Fugazi or people in the scene, and so, again... I, I always say this, and it's a and it's a lyric from a frail song, which is an actual screamo band from the '90s, and they had this thing. They have this thing called "Make Your Own Noise," and I love that because it doesn't matter what it sounds like; it's yours. So keep doing it, and don't listen to anybody. Yeah.